good to have second homes. <laughs> when we discovered our Catch the Fire family, it really was like coming home. It was like finding the place where you fit. And I love coming to Catch the Fire Raleigh because I love seeing that you guys have found a home where you fit. And I want to encourage you, if this isn't your home, to make it your home. Because you can fit here. Right? It's kind of like when other people parent, you know, say things parental to your children that you say a lot, but then I'm hoping that I get to be the person that comes in and says the thing that they say all the time, and you finally get it. So, because that's kind of how it works. It's how it works at home for us. So we are from Dallas-Fort Worth. If you've been watching the news, um, South Texas is getting hammered right now. That's about 400 miles south of us, so we're not getting the direct hit, but we do have, we do have some Catch the Fire family down in the Houston area that's getting hammered right now. So if you would please keep them in your prayers. You want to pray now? Let's pray now. Would you guys stand with me? And let's just, let's just declare that that rain, there's, rain is good. We love rain. Too much rain is not good. Too much rain is not good. So, Lord, would you just cause that rain to soak into the ground, God? Would you just cause the flooding to subside? Would you place your protection over all of South Texas that it would stop, that the, the storm that's sitting over that area would blow back out to sea, God? Just the wind of your spirit just blow. Let's just blow it back out to sea. Just blow that storm back out to sea. Cause that flooding to subside. All the damage, God, the, the, your provision would be made for all the damage. Thank you, Jesus, for your protection and provision over South Texas right now. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're so good. You're so good in the midst of the storm. You are so good. Thank you, God. I know you guys here are familiar with hurricanes, so you can, you can empathize with them right now. So at Catch the Fire Dallas-Fort Worth, we're about three years old now. We're, we're toddling. Not quite out of diapers, but we're toddling. We're getting there. Uh, it's been messy from time to time. Uh, but it's been one of the most delightful things I've ever done. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. But it's also, I couldn't do anything else with my life than pastor our group of beautiful, messy, passionate, wonderful people. And one of the things that we have really focused on at Catch the Fire Dallas-Fort Worth is we, we teach a lot on relationships. It's something that we've learned in our own lives is necessary, you know, and, and people will ask us, why do you focus so much on relationships? Aren't you preaching the gospel? Okay, loving one another is the gospel. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love others. Love God, love others. And so we have to learn how to, you know, most of us are not, not born knowing how to do healthy relationships. If you haven't noticed that, hang around a two-year-old for a while. They're not born knowing how to do healthy relationships. And so it's something that we learn. Most of us were not born into homes. If you were born into a healthy home, bless you. Most of us were born into some, even the best homes have stuff you have to recover from. Right? And stuff you have to unlearn. At least I did. So maybe it's just me, but, it, you know, but I did. So we teach a lot on relationships. And the thing about relationships is it starts with our relationship with the Lord. It starts with that. And so we learn how to do relationships that way. And then we learn to do relationships with one another. And we learn to love well. And at the end of our lives, the goal would be that we loved God well and we loved people well. 
that we loved our spouse well, that we loved our kids well, that we loved our, our neighbors well, that we loved our city well, that we loved those in the line at the restaurant, that we loved those at our workplace, that we loved people well. And we have to learn how, it's a skill. And we have to learn how to do it. Healthy relationship starts with healthy connection. And I want to I take just a minute here at the very beginning to, to break, to kind of be overt about something. I'm going to talk about intimacy. Now, when we talk about intimacy, our culture has so tied that word intimacy to sex that when I say the word intimacy, half of the room goes, oh! You know, I, I, I taught on intimacy at a, at a women's event one time, and, and I had two single girls actually go, like, is she going to, you know, I'm single. Can I listen to this? But, you know, we've so tied that word to something that includes, should include, sex should include intimacy. But intimacy doesn't have to include sex. Okay, so can we, can you make that leap with me there to separate those two terms? And let's just talk about intimacy. Healthy relationships of any kind need healthy intimacy, in order to connect in a healthy way, we have got to learn to how to be intimate with each other in relationships. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us how to love. It talks about love. It teaches us, you know, everything is, it all comes back to love. And love starts with intimacy. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. And that verse actually lays out for us the two components that make up intimacy, honor and vulnerability. Honor is the ability to see someone else. Vulnerability is allowing myself to be seen. Now, I've had to learn how to do this. I don't do this well. I grew up in an environment and in a home where honor was not taught, they did the best they could, but it wasn't taught. Vulnerability was actually scorned. You don't have needs. You don't have feelings. And honor was something that you had to earn. And it, took, it was hard. It was nearly impossible to earn. So I didn't know how to do this. So here I am. I'm, I'm, so when I talk about intimacy, I am going to talk about marriage because it's my primary relationship and it's where I've learned how to do these things. So some of my stories will include marriage, some will include parenting and some other messy ones. But when I first got married, I was 22 years old, didn't know a thing about marriage and got married to a man who um, knew more than me, but not a lot more. And we made some messes our first year. And our first year of marriage, we'd been married about a year and Alan was on staff at a local Bible college, and they would put on youth camps. And so we had thousands of youth and leaders coming into these youth camps. And one day, uh, we took all the youth leaders, a bunch of the youth leaders, out to one of those restaurants where they have arcades and games that you can play, Dave and Buster's. I don't know if you guys have that here, but uh, we went to that restaurant, and we were playing games, and we all did our own thing, and I am the skee-ball champion. Thank you very much. <laughs> Woohoo! So we get back on the bus. We get back on the bus to go back, and everybody's kind of sharing their stories. You know, I played, you know, this was 20-something years ago, so, you know, Galaga and Space Invader, you know, whatnot. Yeah, everybody over 40 is like, yes, right? So we get back on the bus, and everybody's telling their stories, and Alan 
tells us, he tells us what he did. He dr driven a racing game and actually got the high score. And he tells us, he's like, nah, I, got, I, I beat the top score. And he's all excited. And from across the bus, I say this. Well, somebody's impressed with himself. Exactly. And I said that in front of everybody. And he didn't say a word. He claims not to remember this. Grace sometimes causes amnesia. Thank you. And he looked at me with a look. And he didn't say anything back. He just looked away. And you guys, my heart was pierced. It was pierced. I realized that what had come out of my mouth in the vein of being funny had cost me something. And it had cost something to someone that I love deeply. At the same time, we were pregnant with our first child. And uh, we had home birth, so I got to spend lots of time with our midwife. And one of the blessings of my midwife is that she wasn't just my midwife. She also was kind of a spiritual mom and a mentor to me during that season. And I remember going into her. This was right about probably same week maybe even. And I remember going in for an appointment, and I was venting. Do you ever do that about my husband? And how he didn't take out the trash on time. And he didn't put the clothes in the, in the washing machine, you know, in the dryer. And he didn't, he didn't cook dinner. And he didn't pick me up little gifts. And he didn't do all these things that I had expected him to do. And boy, I was just, I was so disappointed in him. And had I made a mistake. And now we were going to have a baby and all this kind of stuff. And I, I'll never forget this. She's sitting at her desk. Like, I'm on her little exam table, and her desk is at the end, and she's got her head down, she's writing, and she's listening to me. And she finally looks up at me, and she says this. She goes, do you know who God's made him to be? And I said, well, yes, haven't you been listening? <laughs> Hello? And she goes, why don't you treat him like he already is that? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Why don't you treat him as if he already is who God says he is? You guys, that's honor. That is honor. That is the ability to know this person standing in front of me. I get God's view of it. I ask God, who is this man? Who is this child? When I started to have children, I started to do that same thing. And you guys, I'm not perfect at it. But it is my goal to honor even my children. And boy, they don't deserve it sometimes. <laughs> right? We lived through the 11, 12, 13-year-old years. And they did too. Hallelujah. But I, I began to learn this principle of what honor looks like and how to honor others in relationship when they don't meet my expectations. When they fail me, and they will, I really, I, I half joke, this is, this is not really joking, I half joke about this, I am married to the perfect man, I really am, he is, he is amazing, he is everything that I, more than I could have asked for, I, I, the Lord knew exactly what I needed, and it's God's grace that, that he's in my life, but we need, we need honor for each other. And he honors me so well. He sees who I am and he calls that out of me. And I'm consistently asking the Lord, Lord, show me who Alan is. 
I ask, him, I ask God that about my staff. God, show me who Tammy, my executive pastor, show me who she is. Show me who Chris and Summer are. Show me who that leader is who just kind of needles me the wrong way. Right? It's easy to honor those that we get along with. It's easy to honor those that we like. It's easy to honor those that are like us. Uh-oh. It's easy to honor those that look like us. It's easy to honor those who share our opinions. It's easy to honor those that believe what we believe. But that's not what honor is. Honor is the ability to see who God created that person to be and to treat them accordingly. God will never show you. God, God will rarely show me the negative about people. He, he just won't. He'll show me how he sees them. He'll show me. In fact, he showed me. There was a, a, a leader not too long ago. We really had some. We went through a difficult season with this leader. And as I was complaining to God, which is a safe place. You know, David did it all the time. So I figure if David did it and he was, you know, God loved him, I can do that too. So I was really complaining about this leader. And God said, you haven't asked me how I see her. Would you like to know? And it took me a minute. Because the, the initial response was, no. I'm just being vulnerable with you. No. And I said, I finally, yes, Lord, I want to see. And he showed me. And it broke me, you guys. It broke me. And, and she's no longer part of our church, and that's okay, and, and, and I bless her. But I was able to forgive and bless someone who had even wounded me because God showed me who she is. He showed me how he sees her. That's honor. We always want to make a distinction between honor and respect, and we'll, well, I'll, I'll honor them if they earn it. I'll honor them if they do right by me. I'll honor them. Guys, that's not honor. We don't honor because people deserve it. We honor because we are people of honor. We honor because we have been so honored. God has so honored us. He has so, oh, I, I just, it makes me want to fall on my face that God treats me not according to what I deserve. And the minute I forget that, I've put him back on the cross. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But yet, that's what we do. If God's forgiveness is enough for me, if his grace is enough for me, then it's enough for that person. It's enough for that person that's hurt me. It's enough for that person that's wounded me. I can honor them. I can ask God to show me. In fact, that's the only way I was able to forgive this person is by saying, God, show me how you see her. And allowing that to, okay, because I realize that when I need to forgive someone else, there's someone else that needs to forgive me. And there's someone else that needs to ask God how he sees me so they can forgive me. Just being honest. And as long as I can remember that, then I can constantly stay in that place of humility and say, God, show me how you see them. Show me how you see them. So that I can honor, so that I can see fully, so that I can, I can treat them according to the image of you that they carry. That's honor. Honor is the ability to know someone else. The other side of that coin is vulnerability. Vulnerability is allowing ourselves to be known by others. 
When we first got married, I had come out of some really hurt places. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I had a lot of what I call porcupine quills. Have you ever been around a porcupine? Right, they look really cute until you get up close. And then they're not so cute anymore. And very often you walk away with the residue of the not cute. And when we, we create these, these, I call it a shell, a false version of ourselves that we don't allow others to see who we really are. We don't really show others our heart. And I walked into this relationship with the one who should know me best and I held myself back. I remember being, we'd been married a couple of years. I think I was pregnant with our second daughter. And <laughs> this is one of those, you ever do things and even 20 years later, you're like, what in the world? What just happened there? He walked into our living room and I walked up and I side hugged my husband. Yeah, think there's something wrong there. I'm not a big side hugger anymore, but I, with anybody. But I, I realized at that moment that there was something in me that was holding me back from him. There was something that wouldn't allow me to be fully seen and fully known. And I, the, over the next few years, the Lord showed me that I was that way in all of my relationships. It wasn't just with my spouse, it was my friends. My friends would come, you know, something would happen, and my friends would come and say, I didn't know that you were struggling. I didn't know that you were hurting. I didn't know that you needed a friend. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes especially leaders and those of us in ministry, we, 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 make, we put that shell on and we think that, well, leaders can't have needs. Pastors can't have needs. We can't have problems. We've got it all together. We know how to forgive perfectly. Every time. Instantly. Right away and in a happy way. Right? We, 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 we can deal with all this stuff. My husband was the freedom pastor. That's what he did was inner healing and freedom ministry. And, and I should know. I know how to do that. I know the tools. I teach the tools. I lead people in the tools. I should know how to do that stuff. I should know how to do this stuff on myself. And I do. You know, I've, I've learned some of this. But, you guys, there's a reason that we're called to be the body. We need each other. We need each other. I've known some folks that have gone Lone Ranger, and they just get weird. They just get weird. Because there's no one in community with each other. In truly being vulnerable with each other, we reflect back to each other. And we have the opportunity, healthy relationship, and we're learning how to do this at Catch Fire, and I'm still learning how to do this. I'm not an expert yet. But we're learning how to confront, and we're learning how to repent, and we're learning how to adjust, and we're learning how to be vulnerable, and we're learning how to go to people and say, hey, that thing that you did, that really hurt. But I know that's not you. I can honor you and say, I know that's not who you are. Can we talk about that? And then we... Of I'm so sorry, would you forgive me? Of course. And we've had some conversations. We've, we've been confronted by our staff. Chris and Summer did this so well about a year ago. They came to us and said, hey, there's this thing going on, and we love you, but it hurts. What are we going to do? And we had an opportunity to say, well, suck it up. What do you, this is ministry. What, how, I'm the senior how could you confront me? 
But instead, we humbled ourselves and said, oh my gosh, you're so right. I, I never meant to hurt you. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And our relationship now with them, you guys, we argue, we fuss at each other, we disagree. Can you imagine? We disagree with each other. And we have this relationship that's like, oh, I just love them. And they love us. And we are committed to them. And they are committed to us. And we just... And we can do that stuff because we've learned to honor one another and we've learned to be vulnerable with one another and we've learned to have the hard conversations. My son is 14 years old and he has taught me, oddly, more about relationships than I think I've ever seen. And he's a 14-year-old boy. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. He said to me, this was, this was just this summer, he said this to me. We were having an argument about something. I do argue with my 14-year-old, and sometimes it's not the, the most honoring of conversations. We're learning to do that together. And he looks at me and he says, well, I only get attention for the things that I don't do. Basically, what he said to me is, you never tell me when I do it right. Ouch. Ouch. That's vulnerability. That's my child coming to me and saying, Mom, this thing hurts. And I actually, I stopped and I I took a step back and I looked at him and I said, I am so sorry. You're right, son, and I, I I will do better. I will work on that. And in that moment of vulnerability, our connection became stronger. His affection for me grew. My affection for him grew. At 14 years old, to have the connection that I have with my son right now is precious. And it's because I made space for him to be vulnerable with me. What would our families, what would our churches, what would our workplaces, what would, what would our culture look like if we learned this? If we didn't have to be perfect with one another? I'm not perfect, and I'm not afraid that you're going to find out anymore. <laughs> I used to live under the, the, the assumption that if you found... <laughs> I say that I'm a recovering perfectionist, Um, and I am, and I used to think that if you found out that I didn't have it all together, you were going to reject me, but what I found is when you actually get to see the real me, that's when people connect. They're like, me too, me too. Ash was sharing some things yesterday about her journey about being a, a female senior leader, and I was like, oh my gosh, me too, me too, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. And that's what creates community. That's what starts to create connection. That's what creates the safe place that we so long for. That's what creates the safe place that the world will want to come to. And they'll say, you have that, and I want that. And when we learn to honor one one another and see the image of God in each other and call that out in each other, and when we learn to be vulnerable and say, hey, this this is who I am. This is where I am right now. This is the real me then we create family. And isn't that what we're about, church? Family. Bill Johnson says, if it ain't family, it ain't kingdom. Let's learn how to do family well.
You ready? Whoa, so good. You guys have heard of the Azusa revival early in the 20th century. That, that is a revival that has spread worldwide and we continue to benefit from its effects today. But its actual experience in Los Angeles at Azusa Street waned pretty quickly. Do you know why? Because someone's, uh, uh, someone stole the mailing list. They, they were, uh, you know, this thing was blowing up. And, of course, you didn't have email lists and Facebook, you know. So they had a mailing list, and they sent out snail mail uh, newsletters about what God was doing. And they were traveling worldwide, and that's how the word was spreading. And they had a growing mailing list, and that, that generated support. And someone uh, got disgruntled, got jealous, and in a power play, stole the mailing list and left. And the thing fizzled out. Now, not just because they didn't have a mailing list, but because healthy relationships is what sustains revival. And historically, revivals fizzle out because of a lack of healthy relationships. It is jealousy. It is a lack of healthy connection. It is a lack of healthy team. It is power plays and control and blame and manipulation that quench the spirit. So we focus so much on healthy relationships because of the value that we have for revival. Our heart is to have a multi-generational global revival movement that builds momentum through the, through the, through the generations. And that, that's only going to happen through the vehicle of healthy connection. So Nancy just so powerfully talked about the two keys to connection, honor and vulnerability. I want to talk to you about the key to honor and vulnerability. Because <laughs> only self-managing people can live in honor and vulnerability. And I want to spend a few minutes talking to you about that. Uh, in, in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Very familiar. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Anybody know what the last one is? Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Did you know that God doesn't want to control you? The fruit of the Spirit is not God controlling you. The fruit of the Spirit is you controlling you. You get, to, you, you, you get around some leaders and you get the feeling that the closer I get to them, the more control they want over me. But God's not like that. God doesn't lead that way. The closer you get to him, the more fully in control of yourself you become. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and if, if the goal is to sustain connection and the pillars that sustain connection are honor and vulnerability, the foundation that honor and vulnerability stand on is the foundation of self-management, self-control. There's a process of maturity that we're called to. There's so many different ways to articulate what that might look like, but one way to say that would be that we're called to move from a place of dependence to independence to interdependence. 
Now, don't, don't get messed up with a big word like interdependence. That's just another way to say healthy connection, right? But what's the process to get to healthy connection? We've got to first move from dependence to independence. Independence is when you, as you learn to be self-managing, I'm independent. And only independent people can be interdependent with other people. If I skip independence, and I'm a, well, Nancy and I, we got married. I was dependent, and she was dependent, and we got married and became codependent. Because, see, dependent people don't love. They're not in it for the other person. They're just in it for themselves, right? And so we, we had to go on this journey. As parents, we've had to adjust our focus. As we've grown in this, we realize, wow, I wonder if the goal of parenting isn't to control our kids but rather to hand them freedom. When I launch them out of the home, what are they going to need? The ability to manage themselves, and if that's the first time they ever learn it, it probably won't go well for a while. So we made this adjustment. I remember Teddy's uh, almost 15 now, but he was about eight. Uh, we were in the throes of making this adjustment in our parenting where our goal was to hand him freedom, to hand him options, to teach him that he was powerful, to teach him that he could manage himself and there were consequences connected to how he did that. And so there was a, uh, a night where we were gonna go out to eat and he was at a stage of his life where Mecca of restaurants was McDonald's. And for me and Nancy and Lauren and Anna, we're not going there. I mean, it's just not gonna happen. And, and so he decided when he wasn't going to get his way to just melt down. So we're in the living room, the common area of the house, and he's just, you know, eight-year-old little boy that is turning on the emotion to try to get his way. Just, he is losing his mind. And we pay him a royalty when we uh, tell these stories. <laughs> so I'm serious. <laughs> So I thought, oh, this is an opportunity to parent him. You know, and, and before I might have escalated my own emotion to be the big truck that smashes his little truck, you know, and, and, and I can escalate my emotion bigger than him to the point where he behaves better, but that doesn't teach him to be powerful. It teaches him that I'm powerful, right? And I want him to learn that he's powerful. So, so I got down at his level and I smiled at him and I said, Ted, you are so powerful, we had done this enough that he knew where this was going and didn't like it. I said, clearly you've chosen to be unhappy and that is just fine. But the place where you're free to be unhappy is in your room. And, but if you're gonna be down here with us, this is a happy zone. Because this is my area to steward. And we've decided, me and your mom, this is a happy zone. So I need to know if you would like to be happy here or unhappy in your room, I'll know which one you've decided in about five seconds. Four, three. So he, I didn't know, you know, it's like if he was an amplifier, he was up to 10 already, but this one goes to 11, you know? And so, and so he escalated the emotion and I said, oh, Ted, you're so powerful. Clearly you've decided to be in your room. I need to know if you'd like to walk there with your own feet or if you'd like to be carried there. Uh, I, I'll know which one you've decided in about five seconds. And I'm not mad. 
Either one of those options is fine with me. Right? And uh, he, and he turned and he stormed up the stairs and hur- hurled down a, you don't even love me, and slammed his door. And we had a happy zone. And Ted had learned how powerful he was. He got to make so many decisions. And we didn't control him at all. About a minute later, you hear the door open. He kind of sliding down the stairs, kind of hangdog. And I said, hey, Ted, we missed you. <laughs> and he, he says, yeah. He said, have you decided to be happy? Yeah. That's all. Now, how long did he have to stay in his room? As long as he wanted. <laughs> See, a punishment is when I'm in control of all the options and parameters, but our goal is not to teach him how powerless he is. <laughs> My goal is to teach him how powerful he is because here's what I know. I want him to be able to do healthy relationships, healthy connection, and for him to do honor and vulnerability Only people who have learned how to self-manage can do that. It's important that I learn that I'm in charge of me. We spend so much of our relational energy trying to control the other person, correct the other person. Uh, uh, Yeah, we're just, we're just, our default setting in the flesh in our immaturity is generally some level of just manipulative controllers. Repentance looks a lot like just recognizing that about ourselves, owning it, recognizing how immature it is, and inviting the Holy Spirit to take us on a journey of learning to be self-managing people. And here's, here's how you do that. It is important that I learn in a revelatory way, not just informational, but deep down in my knower, that I have a source and it's not you. See, Jesus, Jesus died on the cross. In Hebrews, it says that through the veil of his flesh, a way has been opened up for us. The Bible invites us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. We, we have, here's how I would say it, we have access to the source. So, so because of Jesus, I have immediate, eternal, unlimited access to all the joy that could ever exist. Because of Jesus, I have unlimited access, immediate access, unending access to all the peace Love, identity, security that could ever exist. There's no, he's never, ever holding out on me. That's beautiful news, but sobering. Because that means that I'm exactly as happy as I'm choosing to be. I have exactly as much joy in my life as I'm choosing to have. Because there's an unlimited supply, and I have, a, I have unlimited access to it. No one is deciding how much joy I'm receiving except me. No one's deciding how much love 
I'm receiving except me. No one's deciding how much peace, how much of the shalom of heaven is saturating my being except me. Nancy doesn't get to choose that for me. My, my staff doesn't get to choose that for me. My children don't get to decide my happy. Nancy and I are getting to a place, and, uh, we heard Danny Silk say this one time, and most of the good stuff we say, we, we learn from him. And uh, he, he, said, he said that when he leaves in the morning and his wife says, have a good day, his answer is, I will. And I just thought, wow, what a revelation of our power to determine our outcomes. Yeah, our, our, how am I doing? That, I get to decide that, right? And what that does is it, it positions me in a place where I realize, where I own, I'm powerful. He made me in his image, and the first assignment he gave me was to have dominion. I'm made to be powerful. I look most like him when I'm powerful. When I'm, you know, God is very self-managing. He's not hoping to have a good day, hoping to catch a break, hoping everybody's going to be nice to him. He's doing fine. And there's a lot of problems in the world, and, and none of it reduces the joy of heaven one iota. None of it reduces the, the peace of heaven even the least little bit. God is managing God. He's doing just fine, and he made you in his image. And one of the primary ways that you're in his image is that you have the ability to manage you. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, that's not good news at all. It was so much easier when I could blame everyone else. I'm not okay, and it's your fault. I'm not okay, and it's my kid's fault. I'm not okay, and it's my boss's fault. I'm not okay, it's my spouse's fault. I'm not okay, it's the government's fault. I'm not okay. But those attitudes, they just reflect the brokenness of our flesh, the immaturity of our lives. That is not grown up. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. You see, honor and vulnerability are powerful. And powerless people don't offer them to others. Even loving behavior from a powerless person comes across as manipulation. Husband comes home one day, can just feel the ice in the air. She is not okay. It is his fault. <laughs> he says to her, what's wrong? She says, nothing, I'm fine. <laughs> he raises his eyebrows, takes a deep breath, assesses his situation, regroups, comes at it again. Are you sure we're okay? It doesn't feel like we're okay. I'm fine. So he lets it go. Now she's really not okay, and it's his fault. She says, you know what's wrong? You never bring me flowers anymore. He's, he's suddenly a little glimmer of hope. That's a solvable problem.
The next day on the way home, he stops at the store, buys her a dozen roses with baby's breath, has it wrapped up. It's very, very nice. He brings it home and presents it to her. Doesn't change anything. Why? Why? Because he wasn't, she didn't really need flowers. She needed his affection. And he wasn't doing that for her. He was doing that so she would quit being mad at him. He was doing it for himself. Because, see, she wasn't okay, and it was his fault. And that very scenario made him not okay, and it was her fault. And you have two dependent people trying to get their needs met by manipulating the other person. And everybody wonders why they feel insecure and unloved. There's no honor in those flowers. And there was no vulnerability in her need for flowers. Because you don't have two self-managing people and you will never really do honor and vulnerability. Because honor and vulnerability aren't just behaviors. They are what powerful people offer in relationships. So repentance looks a lot like this. God, I need to grow up. (laughs) It's time for me to grow up. God, would you begin to show me the areas of my life where I'm not self-managing? And Holy Spirit, would you draw so close to me that that fruit of self-control would begin to manifest in my life? Where the Lord begins to show you the areas where you're walking in blame and manipulation instead of honor and vulnerability. Those are the areas where you need to grow up in self-control. And that's a fruit of the Spirit. I have good news for you. Jesus is already very, very self-managing, and guess where he lives? In you. In you. He's already so good at this. He's just longing for your surrender that would let him be who he is in and through you and all your relationships. It's, 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 it's not, there, there's some effort, but there's no earning. He, he, he's already in you. He, he, he already designed you to live this way. The, the manipulative, controlling version of you is making you so tired. If, you, if you'll align with his design, which is honor and vulnerability as a self-managing person, you'll discover this thing called Sabbath. And there'll be rest. So why don't you stand with me? I want to pray with you. So yeah, just uh, close your eyes for a second. Let's, we're not in a hurry. The teaching part of this is, is necessary, but the real point of transformation is now. So just close your eyes for a second and let's ask the Holy Spirit some questions. Daddy God, in the, in the relationships of my life, friendships, parenting, marriage, employer-employee relationships, partnerships, in, in the relationships of my life, how self-managing am I? 
How am I doing, Lord? Some parents in the room that need a radical adjustment of how you're approaching your children. Some spouses in the room that need a radical adjustment in how you approach one another. How am I doing, Lord? My work environments and my work relationships, my friendships, how am I doing, Lord? And let me just ask you to be vulnerable with me for a minute. If, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on some critical relationships in your life where there needs to be a major adjustment, would you just be vulnerable enough to put a hand up in the air? Yeah, all over the room. That's amazing. Yeah, me too. My hand's up. My hand's up. Me too. Me too. The key is that we return to our source. When I've lost track of self-management and I've, and I've entered into blame and control and I've stopped offering honor and vulnerability in my relationships, it's because I've forgotten who my source is and I'm trying to be my own source or require that from other people. So just with your own, with your own mouth and your own words, would you just begin to tell Daddy God that he's enough? Father, you're my source of joy. You're my source of love and peace. You're enough. You're my source of identity and security. Lord, today I repent from having idols, looking to myself or to other people to provide what only you can provide. Lord, today I embrace that you're not holding out on me, and I am a good receiver of everything that you're so ready and willing to supply. So right now, just receive his love. Let his love become, move from that place of concept to concrete experience right now. Receive his love. Love of God be released in this room, washing over us, showering over us, raining down on us. Lord, let, let security right now begin to settle into our bones, displacing the insecurity that drives so much of what we do. Huh. Lord, let joy, let joy pour on us like oil. Huh. Joy. Receive it. You get to choose it. You're powerful. You get to tell your face that it's okay to be happy. Receive joy. Huh. You're so good, Daddy. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room that shalom would come and Sabbath would come to these homes. Lord, I pray for the, the, the children represented in this room that, that as they move into maturity and adulthood, that there would be a process that teaches them how powerful they are. Lord, I pray that this house would become a house of deep friendship, deep friendship in this house. 
that this place would be, it would be hard to live isolated at Catch the Fire in Raleigh-Durham because there would be so much honor, so much vulnerability, so many powerful people inviting us all in. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.